Hey there all you cool cats and kittens and welcome back to another episode of Best in Sass, where each week we take you behind the scenes for conversations with some of Silicon Valley's best and brightest operators and investors. Crack a beer, get comfortable, and join us on our quest to find the patterns and playbooks that accelerate the sprint to 10 million of that good stuff, that repeatable stuff, that stuff we call ARR. Today, super excited. We've got Adam Goyette. Um, he's the vice president of marketing at Help Scout, a fairly recent uh, transition. So I'm excited to learn about that. But you know, you've been a, a marketing exec in B2B for a long time now. You were previously at G2, um, led a ton of growth there. So, and I love your, your kind of methodologies around not believing in fluffy marketing goals. Really excited to dive into the conversation. So, Adam, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on. So let's start at the beginning. I noticed that you actually started your career in like consumer electronics at Sennheiser as a product manager. So how on earth did you go from, uh, you know, microphones and headphones to B2B marketing? Yeah, um, kind of a long journey. I also had a, um, so I, I guess when I first came out of college, I was a journalism major and realized, I think, through some internships, I didn't really want to be uh, a journalist and, and really wanted to get more into marketing. Uh, so I minored in advertising, so I didn't want to spend any more time or money really in college. I'd love to spend more time in college, not, not so much the money uh, piece of it. And so uh, from there, I, I got a job uh, through a connection uh, at a company called Sennheiser and uh, doing like product marketing uh, for them. And um, it was there for about two years or so. And then uh, ended up transitioning out into a different company. Um, but, uh, you know, I realized the product marketing piece wasn't necessarily for me. I enjoyed doing it. The consumer electronic world uh, was a pretty interesting piece to play in. And then um, kind of went into a different company that actually does like, uh, it's called like MSS. And I was there for about four years. It's a small um, little company outside of Philadelphia, but they make about $70 million a year at the time. It was that. I'm not sure what they're doing now. That's a nice number. Um, yeah. And, and their, <laughs> their, their whole business is actually corporate relocation. So if, you know, a company like G2 was going to move me somewhere, um, they would actually pay the moving company who would then pay me, uh, who would then pay the specialty companies uh, to come in and create up if I have like a grandfather clock or artwork. So it was all corporate relocation. And, and all they did was go in and do the specialty items that they didn't want the mover to touch. And they had a nationwide network of subcontractors that did all this work. So uh, super interesting kind of company. Um, and I was a team of two there. Um, so I got to learn just a wide variety of marketing. Um, I touched everything from graphic design uh, to some of the email marketing. And then from there, that's where I got more in kind of the technology side of it didn't see a huge career kind of path there because it's just a small team. Um, and so that's how I kind of ended up in, in the B2B space. That's amazing though. So there was a, they were, they were doing 70 million, seven zero, right? I heard that right. Yep. Seven zero. With a, a marketing team of two. Yes. All right. Yep. All right. Well, cancel the podcast. You and I are starting a, uh, a corporate relocation company. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. It's wow. pretty amazing team. So yeah. Wow. Very cool. Okay. So, um, like four years, that's, that must have been fairly formative. Um, are there any lessons that you've taken forward from those four years and you're still using today? Yeah. I think the big thing for me was like, it's such a small team. Um, it's really like 
I learn best by getting my hands dirty. And so I like I've kind of taken that in, throughout my career. Like even though like I, I manage teams and stuff like that, like I still love actually getting into systems and understanding how the systems we're using work, uh, how we're connecting with data, and just like I think being a broad skilled marketer is extremely helpful. Um, just because you get so much experience in dealing. Uh, with all the different facets of it, but also understanding how they all connect from one thing to another, like how the design plays into your ad performance and the copy and all these sorts of things. I think where some people in, in larger companies get so specialized in one area, that it's hard for them to see kind of the big picture and, and really advance into a marketing leadership role. So does that, I mean, when you're building out your teams or growing your teams, are you looking for marketing generalists or like how do you, how does that play in when, say you're you're like man we really need someone to just go deep on demand gen but to your point like demand gen is influenced by all sorts of other disciplines uh, or at least a performance so how how does that inform your hiring yeah so i i like people who have whether they've done it necessarily in the past or not um i do like people who have like the um either they work super closely with other teams to understand it uh and i also posted about this on linkedin the other day I love people with like side hustles for that exact reason, right? So like, I think it's hard to be a, just a generalist at some companies now, depending on the marketing team size, um, you know, because like uh, at a company like G2, I think the marketing team was like 65 people. So like you had very specific people doing very specific things. It was hard to become a generalist there, but like a good example is our copywriter, you know, at G2. Um, he also ran a side business um, for his copywriting business. So in that he understands email marketing he understands web design he's understanding all these different things he's doing there right uh, on a side thing which just makes him a more well-rounded copywriter so i look for people who ha- kind of have that uh, intellectual curiosity or, or have done stuff like that in the past because um, i find like they're just better at what the, even if it's a specific task that you're asking them to do sure so all right a month ago we were originally going to record this podcast but you had your third child, which is super exciting. I'm curious, is your side hustle having three kids or is there something else that you're also working on? <laughs> That's a side hustle that is losing me <laughs> lots of money. Yeah. It's the worst side hustle ever. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I would say that that's the side hustle right now. Um, you know, I do uh, my actual thing in the past. I used to do uh, some consulting stuff for just other companies and startups. Um, I also did photography for a little while just as like a fun hobby um, and actually started through uh, the marketing side where I actually traded with the Chicago Photography Academy um, marketing services. And I said, like, I don't want to be paid. Just let me take any class I want um, for free. And they were like, OK, great. Right. Like, who cares if there's just an extra person in the class for them? And so I ended up over the course of about a year and a half taking every single class they had. <laughs> just this is pre kids um, nice. learning, learning photography. Um, and then I did shot a few weddings and shot a few things just kind of for fun uh, side business stuff that I was doing. So that was yeah. like a fun side side hustle for a little bit. I was checking out your work. It's some really cool street photography. It's it's uh, for our listeners. It's adamgoyettphotography.com or just adamgoyette.com? Just adamgoyette.com. Yeah. Just adamgoyette. Nice. You got the good domain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um, Cool. So what's the weirdest side hustle that you've hired someone? Like, have you have you run into any side hustles where you're like, this is so quirky, you, you must be on our team? Anything like that? Or is it usually uh, consulting, that kind of thing? 
So I had um, at G2, uh, the person uh, running growth marketing, Jesse Rowe, um, he was, he's like, he's a super interesting person. He's got a million side hustles. Uh, he's one of those people who's always like spinning up weekend projects. Um, so I don't know if you remember, probably about a month or so ago, it kind of blew up. It was betonweather.io. Um, and so that was actually his creation. And so it's basically a site where it allows you to bet against your local weather person to see how accurate <laughs> they're going to be. So, so that was definitely the most unique side hustle. <laughs> I think that and it ended up getting like picked up like with all kinds of coverage and stuff like that. And so it was like a, literally like a weekend project and he had just spun up. Um, wow. So it was pretty funny. But that's <laughs> definitely the, like the most unique one I think I've had anyone working on. Nice. That that definitely takes the cake. We've got a candle maker on our team, which is really cool. But I think the, the betting against the weatherman is uh, potentially more more quirky. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's actually like worked through all the legal implications of, of running a gambling site, but I think he he's trying. So. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting ask for forgiveness. Like you, you know, what's the gambling commission calls you up? Like, oh well. <laughs> yeah, I was. I basically told him, I think this is going to either make you millions of dollars, or you're going to end up in jail in about six months. <laughs> uh, either way, it makes for a great bar story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, cool. So, so um, getting us uh, back on track. That was a fun little little rabbit hole to jump into. Um, so you were at G two for almost two years, um, and and they saw some fantastic growth while you were there. So I'm curious, like what were some of your favorite plays that you ran there? Um, both, you know, the ones that you've, you had done in the past and maybe talk to us about a few that were new ideas and new concepts that you're playing around with there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the fun things about working at G2 and demand gen um, is a lot of times the people signing contracts are actually like people in my role. Right. And so it's other demand gen leaders. So it's, in some ways I got to market to myself. Um, and so I think like one of the things that we saw was, you know, cutting through the noise of what marketers get all the time. Um, they just get so much email, so many different ad campaigns running against them. And so uh, we tried to really go out of the box and be a little bit different in some of our campaigns. Um, so I'd say that the two that jump out to me, um, one is like direct mail. So we did a lot with direct mail in my time at G2, um, just because of like, I literally sat around and thought I get probably 10 LinkedIn messages a day. I get 50 emails, you know, every other day or so where people are trying to sell me things. I get calls to my cell phone all the time. I just ignore. Um, but actually nobody ever really sends me mail. And so we sent pinatagrams um, to people. And so we, we married it up with our BDR team and ran an outbound campaign sending like actual pinatagrams. To, they showed up at people's desk. Uh, and the messaging was basically... Like beating your competition on G2 Crowd is way more fun than beating this cute pinata. And the messaging was actually on <laughs> <laughs> the messaging was actually on the outside of the pinata. So like a pinata gets delivered. It's not like in a box or anything. Um, and so that campaign, when we coupled it with the outbound, we were seeing about twenty percent like meeting book off of that rate. And the pinata grams are not a lot. They're like fifteen bucks each, right? And so to get like a meeting with a, a VP or a CMO for, you know, a $20 outbound campaign was, was pretty successful. And so that was one we saw a lot of success with. But really it started, I think, one, the creativity, but then also the BDR follow-up. I was lucky to have an amazing team that I got to work with, uh, led by Mike Conti there. And, and they did a great job of like really like taking that those efforts and running with them on the sales side. 
it's amazing how important that handoff is. <laughs> like you can yeah. hand someone such an amazing, hot as fire lead, and if the handoff isn't right, it just can get so fumbled and lost. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that was one that was super successful. And then the other one is, you know, G two is pretty unique in terms of we have data on your company, whether you're a customer or not, right? Uh, if your product's on G2, uh, we have people leaving reviews or you're getting traffic to your profile or there's traffic to the category and people are comparing you against one of your competitors. And so we know all of this data on the back end, you know, about your buyer intent and all these things happening. So we have a really compelling message to sell. Um, and so we took this angle of like getting a free data tour um, of like your buyer intent data. And so literally like, using a tool called like Hyperize, we personalized mass amounts of emails to show like their own buyer intent data and emailed it directly out to the CMOs to say like, hey, here's the companies that are actually looking at your profile and compared you against these companies. You know, would you be interested in getting a tour to see all the companies that showed that were showing interest in the last 90 days? Um, and of course, it's like free data. So of course, everyone wants to get in on that, right? And so that was another one that was just super successful for us, um, just taking that approach versus like trying to explain what buyer intent is and explain like the concept at a high level, like right. just show them the data. Totally. So before you go on to help Scout, because I'm really curious to hear what you're, what, you're, what you're planning to bring from those experience to help Scout um, as the new head of marketing there, Rubia Marketing. Were you, so you were, I'm imagining the scene, you're sitting in a room with a whiteboard with some colleagues and you're like, let's try direct mail. And one of them was like, I'm down, except I'm late for a birthday party. We've got to go smash this pinata. And someone was like, that's it. We're going to send pinatas to people. Like how did that that conversation actually go down? Yeah. So um, one of the things we did at G2 uh, is was a monthly kind of brainstorm. And so actually the idea was, um, Everyone puts their ideas ideas into an Asana board pre the meeting, and they basically have to pitch it right to the rest of the demand gen team. And so it was very much like put in the craziest ideas you can think of, uh, and then we talked through the idea. And so it was actually someone on my team came up with the idea uh, and pitched it. I don't know where she she ended up seeing it, um, and then we were like, oh, that could be really good. And then obviously we test small, we tested it with just a hundred cents before we ramped it up. So it wasn't like a huge cost investment, a huge like time suck. And then it worked really well. So then we did it again and did it again. Um, so I think th- those were like the meetings where we got a lot of really good ideas out of, uh, we also sent pennies to people. Um, <laughs> like, pennies? Uh, yes. <laughs> so literally had someone on my team go with, uh, get, uh, 2000 pennies from the bank. Um, and so we sent pennies to people. And the idea is like you get an envelope and you feel something in it. It's like the bulk emailer kind of concept. Um, and uh, the messaging, uh, you open it up and there's a penny. And it's basically like, hey, 90% of buyers are now doing research online before they ever visit your website. So you have two options. Take this penny and throw in a wishing well and hope they find you. Or get listed on G2 where, you know, 6 million people are coming to find the right software for them <laughs> doing that research. Right. And so so That's that, that one was pretty successful. Um, it was a little bit harder to track because we were just asking them to go claim their page, um, right. and just get, get engaged. But yeah, I think we had a lot of ideas like that where we were just testing it. And that's the fun part about being in marketing is like, is, is those elements and those campaigns that you could push the boundaries a little bit on. I, that must have been the te- the look on the teller's face when someone finally asked them to take pennies out of the bank as opposed to trading them in 
<laughs> <laughs> Did I hear you right? That's 2,000 pennies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the look on someone's face when I actually walked into a bank. I don't think I've been in a bank in about eight years. <laughs> oh, man. Tell me about it. <laughs> All right. So Help Scout. Um, I have been a Help Scout customer twice now, once for my first SaaS business running support. And the second time was for my first e-commerce business running support. And so I think what would be really interesting to talk through is, you know, a lot of the time companies when they're, and, and Help Scout likely isn't in this phase of the, the you know, first million in ARR to 10 million. Um, I'd imagine you're past that. But yep. in that first sprint, the it's so easy not to focus, right? And, and then like success usually comes from getting really focused, getting really clear on your ICP and buyer personas. But with a product like Help Scout, I mean, it's, it's one of those, I can imagine you're sitting in the room and of course the CEO is like, well, everyone who has a support burden to some extent could use our product. So how, how do you bring focus to that? And um, what tactics and strategies are you excited to uh, roll out now that, you're, now that you're rolling yourself out at Help Scout? Yeah. Um, so I think there's a couple of things there. One is I think Help Scout is an amazing company in terms of um, the company really knows who they are. Uh, and, and so I say that in terms of like, we know we're not the solution for a large enterprise company and we don't really want to be the solution for a large enterprise company. Uh, most of our customers are more like small businesses. And so, um, so knowing, I think like who that persona is, we can go after it. And then within that, obviously then it's like, wow, the whole world's open. Right. But it's just being smart about the growth we're trying to change too. And so I think like there's this, you know, hyper growth, grow at all costs kind of world out there in, in the SaaS world. Um, and I've definitely worked at companies like that, right? And I think that's got its trade-offs when you do stuff like that. Um, and I think Help Scout's really trying to build a smart, sophisticated uh, platform that helps helps customers and end users. And, and, and there's, a, so there's a huge emphasis on the design and the quality of the product and really understanding who, the, who we're trying to serve. So um, from a marketing standpoint, uh, it kind of makes it easy, like, we're driving, we have two models, right? We have a sales team that follows up with some of our larger possible clients, but then we have a big self-serve model. So from my end, um, once we get people into the product, like the actual conversion rate, once we get them using it uh, and onboarded and stuff, is, that is really high. Uh, so it actually is like a, a marketer's dream. It's like, I know I can bump into this funnel and, and it'll come out at the other end as long as we're, what we're doing is quality. Uh, and so really what I've spent a lot of time in my first like, you know, two months here trying to understand like where are people coming from and then what is the quality of these free trials like are they actually converting the way through and then looking at it by channel if you think in the past we've just kind of looked at it as a big bucket of like here's the trials and here's the average score but i want to break it out more towards are they coming out of our content are they coming off of our paid search are they coming off of facebook campaigns running like where are they coming from and what are the what are the gaps we're seeing in like you know, LTV to CAC and, and their, their trial score and like how likelihood they are to convert and then like playing that back into our model at, of where we're actually trying to like point our guns. And so that's that's a big effort where I'm spending my time now. Totally. So, okay, so we've talked about a ton of stuff that has gone well and campaigns that, you know, have, have just been awesome and creative. Um, I always think that there's there's some great stuff to be learned from the campaigns that we thought were going to go really well and totally bombed. So are there any that stand out for you that, that you were like super excited about and then they just, you know, fell flat and why? Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I definitely have a, a, a slew of them, I'm sure. Um, I think one of the big things uh, I try to do too is test, like we talked about the pinatogram, is test on a smaller scale before we roll out large campaigns so there's not like colossal failures. I would say um, one of the, the things that happened to me while I was at D2 is we would host CMO dinners. Um, and so we would go to a city uh, and we would invite you know 15 CMOs for like a networking dinner. And it truly was like just a networking dinner. I would host it, or Ryan, our CMO, would host it, uh, along with like one sales leader from our side. Uh, and so we had done these, and they were really successful. And so um, you know, we hosted about fifteen of the top CMOs in Boston, took them out to a really nice dinner, and it was this nice networking thing. And like naturally, what happens is a few of them are future customers, and G two would come up in the conversation. Um, and so we were seeing it some good success in some major cities. Um, and then the suggestion was like, hey, we should do Salt Lake City uh, because we have really good customers there. We can get people there. And so I don't have the relationship with a lot of these customers, right? It's on the sales team. And so we went and we had about 12 people confirmed for that day. And so this was the first one I was actually running uh, when I had first come on board there. And so our CEO, Godard, uh, decided this was also going to be the first one he came to. And so he shows up. Uh-oh. So it's, it's yeah. <laughs> so it's Godard, our CEO, Ryan, uh, the CMO, and then me. Uh, and this is the first one I'm responsible for. Um, and we had 12 people confirmed that day that all were supposed to come. And we ended up having three people actually show up to the dinner. <laughs> so, oh man! <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> the best stares I was actually getting <laughs> throughout this process. Uh, yeah. And so it was honestly just kind of like the perfect storm of just. People backed out that day, and then people just literally no showed uh, the dinner, and so uh, we 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 figured to going and and part of the problem was like we didn't buffer in a huge drop off like that because all the other cities we were literally seeing like almost a hundred percent show rate, um, but it was mostly because we had these relationships uh, where like the invites were coming from our CMO or they were we had to had face-to-face contact with them before there was the sales leader or someone on the marketing side and, and we didn't have a lot of that uh in this city and so it was a total disaster of an event um <laughs> it was not a great not a great uh night spent uh so, yeah <laughs> you gotta have some big losses so that the wins feel that much better you know yes exactly <laughs> we've since had really successful events off of that uh but that was definitely like one of those and I think it's that's always a little bit the case with events. You never know. It's a little bit of a crapshoot. Yeah. Like, is someone going to show up and aren't they? And then, like, you have the opposite problem. Like, 18 people show up and you're like, oh, shit, we don't have enough chairs, <laughs> right? So <laughs> We need more steak. Uh, was there something that you took away from that, like, like, as far as how you followed up or just reminders? Or was there any kind of actionable or was this purely happenstance? And, you know. So one was, like, I think, like, getting more – a buy-in from the sales team of like, hey, if we're going to choose a city to do it, like we we're building in like a thirty-three percent buffer. So like, if we want twelve people at the dinner, we're inviting eight. I need eighteen confirmed people. Otherwise, we're going to consider just pulling out and canceling, right? Um, so one is like just adding in more of a buffer, uh, and then we did start doing things like we literally would have like the rep call that day, just say like, hey, just touch and base, make sure you're still on for dinner. Like more of these personalist touches versus just like automating like calendar reminders and things like that. Uh, we also started sending like Uber uh, gift cards in advance. Like, hey, we put fifty dollars in your Uber account, so you can actually like, you know, get to the dinner on us and stuff like that. Um, and I was also hesitant and gun shy of doing like uh, cities that aren't like larger metropolitan areas. But I think like 
I, I don't know. There's something just a little bit different. I don't know if it's like people more family. This is all like theory <laughs> that people are more like family focused in those areas, and they're just not used to like the going out all the time after work kind of stuff. So like they don't have the infrastructure in some ways to do that. Like whether it's like childcare or, or whatever it is. I don't yeah, know. that's a great point though. It's subtle, but it obviously makes a giant difference. Because we never saw those issues like that when we were in like New York and Boston and San Francisco and Chicago. Like those were, and even if it was uh, where we did see a little more drop off, like the pool's so big, we can pull in people pretty quickly, right? right? Like if someone in San Francisco drops off, okay, there's like throw a stone and we'll hit another like (laughs) marketer at a SaaS company. Uh, You want me to stay at work until nine? Uh, Is this just another Tuesday or what? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, very cool. So, all right, as we wind this down, I always love to ask, you know, you've had a great career so far. Surely there were some mentors or even peers who have inspired you along the way. Um, just give you an opportunity to, to name some of those folks. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, I've had a lot of mentors uh, throughout my career and stuff. Um, there's a few people I think that I've had a big impact just working with um, and, and not necessarily from a marketing standpoint, but I think sales leaders. Um, so like Mike Conti, who led the BDR team over at G2, was pretty instrumental, I think, in, in building super strong results and working with him pretty closely. Uh, so he's one person I think that had a big impact. And then, um, you know, through LinkedIn, I've been able to actually build up pretty good connections with people that I've been able to bounce ideas off of, um, just chat with through demand gen tactics and just follow what they're doing. Uh, like Gaetano Gennardo is one of those people. Kyle Lacey is another one. Just two people, I think, that put out a lot of really thoughtful content. And luckily, I have a little bit of a connection with, so I'm able to pick their brains every now and again on different campaigns for them. Nice. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how just chatting things, through, chatting things through out loud with someone else who's like operating in a similar, similar problem space and trying to come up with creative ideas, it just makes all the difference sometimes. Yeah, because I can convince myself of just about anything if I'm just left in a house by myself for three months at an end without any interaction, which is where I'm at right now. So, yeah, I was about to say, like the kids probably aren't of an age where they can be helpful in your uh, in your marketing and demand gen brainstorms. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Adam, this has been really fun. Um, I, I think our audience is going to love this conversation. And uh, for everyone listening, check out Adam's photography if you're into that. AdamGoyette.com and uh, Adam, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it.